Hi, Eric. Welcome to this series. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're very happy to have you. Thank you um, for making the time. So I'm sure that many of our viewers have actually already seen your posts on LinkedIn because you tend to share a lot of uh, interesting marketing cloud content. But uh, but just to be sure, could you please give us a quick intro uh, to your viewers? Sure. So I'm Eric Stahl. I run digital here at Salesforce. Uh, I've been here for almost 13 years, which is kind of incredible uh, to see Salesforce grow from just a few thousand people to uh, the company it is today. I've had a lot of different roles. I started off at um, a relational database software company. I worked in at a middleware software company. Uh, and then I came to Salesforce in 2008. I've worked on our platform. I've worked on our marketing cloud, our commerce cloud, our community cloud. Uh, I helped with MuleSoft for a while, getting them onboarded when they joined the company. Uh, I was over in London for a couple of years running our EMEA product marketing team. So I've had a lot of different roles. And for the last year, a little more than a year, I have been rethinking our whole digital strategy and rethinking the, the platform and the org and our kind of how we operate and how that's all going to manifest in a completely different and uh, really exciting new digital experience. Oh, I'd, I'd love to uh, dig in deeper there, but there was one thing that you mentioned, which was, um, you know, Salesforce wasn't the company it was today uh, when you joined uh, 13 years ago. Uh, what was it that excited you already back then to, to uh, you know, join them? It's a great question because uh, it was very specific, I remember. Um, so I worked in on-premise enterprise software back in the late 90s, the mid to late 90s. So you would get a server and you'd have an operating system and you would load up all these, you know, the whole software stack on your, on your local uh, on-premise hardware. And back then I was working for Informix Software, which was uh, a database like Oracle or, or Symantec. Um, and the big players in tech were like, Sun and HP and Pyramid and you know SGI, like these big hardware players. That was the, the center of the universe. And, and yeah, there was software and companies like Oracle, but um, you, know, you don't hear about any of that these days. Um, and so I worked for on-premise software vendors, then middleware, a company called BEA Systems. You might've heard of Tuxedo or WebLogic. Um, and you know, Java and J2EE came along and I just saw the cost and the complexity of buying, installing and configuring a whole software stack and then all of your custom code on top of that. And just what a complete dark art it was to get all that working properly. <laughs> How, you know, very few people uh, or very few companies could do that, right? Maybe big banks or, you know, big government institutions, but like, this was not that long ago. This was in the, the late 90s. And um, coming into the early 2000s, um, Salesforce came along and they were like, don't worry about any of that stuff. We will host the CRM. And at the time it was just sales, Salesforce automation. Uh, we'll host it for you. You just you just log in and don't worry about the back end. And it was like, wow, that's a totally different approach. And 
you know, for big enterprise applications, uh, that was a novel concept back then. And Mark Benioff said, why can't enterprise software be like amazon.com where you just go to Amazon and you just buy stuff and, you know, why, why can't enterprise software be that easy? And I was like, oh my gosh, it is, enterprise software is a nightmare to manage and run and configure and uh, do what you want it to do. That is a really big idea. And so I looked at a keynote and Mark Benioff was doing this keynote about the platform and how you can not only use the Salesforce applications, but you could build custom applications on top of the Salesforce platform. Not only could you do that, you could do it with clicks, not code. Just kind of point and click, create a custom object, uh, move some things around on the UI and boom, a non-developer could create an application, deploy it and 100,000 people could use it the next day. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is unbelievable. Game changer. Game changer. <laughs> and uh, I just remember thinking that, that is a big deal. And it was before the term cloud computing was popular like it is today. It was before, you know, all the, the, the kind of workday and all the other applications came along. And I was like, that's unbelievable. So I uh, joined the company and I've been here ever since. It is interesting that that point, um, that game changer that attracted you, it's also a philosophy we felt uh, we needed to adopt. Um, so we also made our own uh, software, which plugs into Salesforce, obviously, uh, plug and play and drag and drop. So completely aligned with that. Um, now, a large part of your career uh, has actually centered one way or another around marketing cloud. How did that begin specifically? So in my different jobs at Salesforce, I, um, I remember I, I was in London and I came back to the States and I worked on our website back in 2000, I think it was 2011. And um, we had a marketing cloud at the time, but it was just two small acquisitions. A company called Radiant 6, which was social listening and analytics and a company called Buddy Media. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember the acquisitions. <laughs> and they were like, hey, will you work on Marketing Cloud, which was kind of a new concept at the time? And I said, sure. And I came over and I was like, well, these are two very interesting products. And by the way, we have some amazing leaders at Salesforce to this day who came from those acquisitions. So they've had incredible value on this company, but they were very narrow in terms of the full scope of like a marketing cloud. Like marketing spans a lot of things. We had two... Mm -hmm you know, social media kind of tools. Um, and then one day in June of 2013, we announced the acquisition of Exact Target. And Exact Target was the you know huge player in email marketing. And they had also acquired Pardot, which was a B2B marketing automation company. And at the time, it was our largest acquisition ever. It was like a two, mm -hmm. gosh, I can't even remember. I think it was two, yeah, 2.3 2. million, something like that. And people were like, that is crazy that you guys are spending that much money on this company. And boy, that was, that was really, truly one of the most successful acquisitions this company mm -hmm. has ever made. Um, Double digit growth since, I think. I'm sorry? Double digit growth since. I believe. 
Oh yeah. I mean, more than double, like very, very healthy growth. Um, and it took us a long time. It was a publicly traded company with thousands of employees and thousands of customers, but you know, it really pushed us in two dimensions. One, it made us a more credible player in marketing because email marketing, as we all know, is, you know, the, the workhorse of digital marketing and exact target was deep in very, very large complex accounts with, you know, very, very deep capabilities and scale. And so that was good. And then, um, it also pulled Salesforce towards consumer kind of the consumer universe. In the past, our earliest days, we, we did B2B, primarily B2B sales automation, right? Sales reps selling to other companies and they needed a place to keep track of their accounts and contacts and leads and opportunities right. and cases and it's very B2B. Well, exact target and then some of our subsequent acquisitions like Demandware for commerce really pulled us in the direction of consumer, uh, consumer marketing. And so... Uh, that has also had a profound impact on the company. And the bigger we've gotten over the years, the more we've realized that most companies of size do both B2B and B2C, and you need to have all the right tools in the tool chest to be able to engage customers uh, the right way, whether it's a, a, you know, an account and a contact and an opportunity, or whether it's a you know, a consumer who needs, you know, kind of a transactional email or an email newsletter. So, uh, so anyway, back to your question, that was exact target. And then we acquired Datarama and Crocs and lots of other companies. And so I was uh, very close to that for many years. And only in 2019, um, did I leave the marketing cloud to uh, take on the digital team and kind of start to rethink our own digital stack, team, methodology, and experience. That actually brings me to my uh, next question, because I saw that recently you were promoted to um, SVP and GM of digital experience, so congratulations on that first. Uh, but could you tell us a bit more about the goals that come with that new title? Well, thank you. Uh, I am just a small cog in a very big machine here at Salesforce, and I'm uh, truly uh, humbled to lead this team. We have got an incredible team. Um, we're going to do some incredible things together. We have some big ideas that we're excited to work on. Um, a couple of things have happened over the last year. For one, and it kind of leans into this idea of a general manager. For one, I think Salesforce is like a lot of companies. We had marketing, digital marketing capabilities spread out across many different teams. An email team in one org, an analytics team in another org, a social team in a different org, a web team in a different org, a development team in a different org. Like things were just kind of all over the place. And I, I'm sure it's like this in many companies. So one thing we've done recently is consolidate, not all of that, but a lot of that into one organization where I now have um, the, the architects, the product managers, and the developers who are building the platform and experience, um, as well as the production teams 
that are using the platform and experience to run the business, whether it's the website or email uh, or some other areas. And so we've consolidated a large part of the large parts of the organization to give us a common, a common, it's a V2 mom and Salesforce language, but a common vision and values and methods and you know, budget and all the things that come along with that. Oh yeah, I've I've read Trailblazer. I'm I'm familiar with the terminology, but maybe for the audience, we'll put it in the link of the video. Great. There's also a trail on Trailhead about V2 moms. They're great. Oh, good. Point. The other thing we're doing is there's a big mantra that we're going to build our digital experience like we build our products. Right? Salesforce knows a thing or two about building software. Right? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And so. It was like we had teams building the sales cloud and the service cloud and platform and marketing cloud over here. And then we had teams building our digital experience over here in a very different uh, way. And basically what we've concluded is let's adopt all of the roles, tools, and methodologies that we use to build our products to build our digital experience. And that's been a really simple but powerful guiding principle for us in terms of how we're organizing Scrum Agile teams. It's an important concept for us in terms of um, the tool set we use. We use an internal um, tool called Gus for building our products. We're gonna use Gus for building our uh, digital experience. Um, and it goes all the way down into a lot of the you know, the, the org, the org structure, the roles, the role names, the role definitions, uh, how we manage um, the roadmap, how we manage sprints. You know, we are fully adopting all of the Salesforce product team uh, methodologies wherever we can. We will make exceptions if we absolutely have to, but that mantra has really helped shift the mindset for how we're approaching our digital experiences. Um, and by the way, it's not just marketing experience, it's marketing, it's commerce, it's support, it's help and training, it's how we integrate with Trailhead, it's how we integrate with the App Exchange. Uh, we have a really big vision for how all these things are gonna come together in a much more integrated and dynamic and personalized way uh, versus what you see out there today. It's I find this like a great shift and um, in an interesting way, it somehow reminds me of Toyota where I've seen um, similar shifts to uh, all these what used to be siloed activities being grouped under what they call customer experience. And similarly, just like you guys can learn a lot internally from software making, they're applying techniques such as Kaizen and continuous improvements, which obviously also um, influenced Benioff's uh, thinking. Yeah. I um, think digital... digital is moving into the front, you know, the, the, especially during COVID, um, you know, we're in a time where there's never been a better time to work on digital because mm -hmm. in-person events are not possible. In-person meetings are not possible. Flying around is not possible. Taking right. your customers golfing is not possible. The only thing really truly possible in 2020 is what we're doing right now, which is a you know a virtual uh, a virtual experience through this recording, but that should extend to all of digital, and 
you know, I'm optimistic that things are going to turn and get better soon, but it's really made digital the focus and Salesforce, you know, is deeply committed to not impose our org chart on our customers, which we do in many ways today. Um, but we're really investing to rethink all of it, the stack, the data strategy, uh, and the front end experience in ways that are centered around the customer and not around our org chart. Now you, you did touch upon COVID-19. Uh, I wanted to ask actually how that has impacted the way you personally organize your work. Well, welcome to my home office. <laughs> exactly, <of> right. <laughs> I used to go, uh, I live in San Francisco and I, you know, I, I used to go downtown to the Salesforce Tower every day. And so we, like everybody, uh, have been working from home. Salesforce has had a very conservative approach. Uh, we, I haven't been to the office since February. And, so, and I don't think we're going to open our offices until the vaccine is is very widely distributed. Um, and I'm, again, hopeful that will be sooner than, than later. But um, we've, we've had to rethink a lot of things. We've gone through a lot of change. Um, one of the interesting things for Salesforce was the recognition very early on that the world has changed and we need to change. And I'll never forget because Mark Benioff is so actively involved in so much of our um, every aspect of the business. You know, he uses the word relevance. If if we're out talking about our products and we're not talking about kind of COVID and the shelter in place and quarantine, then we're not relevant. It's we can't pretend life is normal. Life is not normal right now, right. and so. You know, we've adapted our business in many ways, and we've adapted our message in many ways. And, you know, to be relevant in 2020, you have to be thinking about the impact of COVID and quarantine. Um, some of our industries, the industries we sell into are impacted profoundly in, uh, you know, if you're an airline or you're a hotel right now, you're not really, you know, thinking about a new CRM system. <laughs> but if you are a, you know, a government rolling out, um, you know, public services, uh, whether it's, um, you know, relief or healthcare services or other, you know, vaccines, uh, we can help them with that. Uh, and lots of other businesses are, are investing in digital right now. And that does give us um, an opportunity in, in certain other areas. So uh, it's been a big year of change. We have adapted the org, we've adapted our strategy um, and so far so good. So uh, uh, we look forward to better days and hopefully they're, they're not too far out, but um, it's been impressive to see how Salesforce not only adapted our products, but um, adapted the, the, the company, the company itself to kind of recognize that this is a, this is a new, a new reality that is not going to, uh, we're, you know, we're probably never going to go back to the prior, um, the prior world. I'll just oh, give no. one other, one, one other example, you know, when we look at how well people adapted 
to working remotely, I think that's going to have a very profound impact on office space, uh, remote work, our ability to recruit in places other than San Francisco, mm -hmm. um, and how we're going to think about you know, a distributed workforce forever. Vaccine or not, I think that is going to really stay with us. Oh, I agree. I think some of these changes are going to stay um, for better or worse. Uh, I do think that now many companies are forced to think more digitally. They're going to uh, rethink the way they engage with their own teams or customers. And uh, overall, I hope it, it leads to more efficiency that extends into the future. Um, are there like some tips and tricks of things that you found helpful? Like you mentioned earlier, you can't take your customers golfing anymore. So other um, other alternative ways of engaging with your customers or even your own team that you find particularly helpful? Well, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a tough one. I have people on my team who are constantly, you know, trying to find good ways to re-engage the team, uh, keep them, keep them motivated, keep them connected. Uh, a, a person on my team uh, just constantly organizes get togethers that have nothing to do with work, whether it's uh, cocktail making or, uh, you know, uh, pasta making or, uh, gosh, she's done so many, I can't even think of them all, but, you know, really trying to keep the team connected. Uh, she also does a wonderful job sending out physical, you know, packages to oh, the team nice. so that people kind of, you know, feel a, a connection um, we aren't really gathering as a, as a, you know, as a by policy now. And so I think anything we can do, um, we're also working very hard to set expectations that we need to take care of ourselves and we need to take care of our families as our number one priority. And that should always be the case, but it's never been more important during COVID. Um, I tell my team all the time, we're working very hard, but COVID is impacting us each differently. I don't have kids. I don't have a sick parent. So I have a little more, I've got, I've got a lot of flexibility in my life right now. I work with people who have very small children crawling all over them during meetings. I have coworkers with very sick parents who they're trying to take care of, whether it's COVID or something else. And so I think job one is, you know, wellness and us being mindful of each other. And, you know, the, I always tell people, don't wait for, for me or someone else to look out for your wellness. You have to set your own boundaries of what you are capable of doing during this very difficult time, especially people with children. Who, who are, you know, homeschooling, uh, et cetera. Set your own boundaries and we will flex and adapt around that. Uh, and if you can help someone else who's in a more difficult situation, you know, that's great too. But uh, I think, you know, if we can't maintain wellness, and by wellness, I mean mental health, and kind of physical health. I personally prioritize exercise very, very highly. I have it on my calendar. I do it. 
And you know, if if Stephanie, our CMO, or Mark Benioff wants something, I'll I'll, I'll cancel my workout. But it kind of has to come from that altitude for me to forego what I consider to be a personal priority sure. that helps me not just physically, but helps me psychologically get through such a crazy time. Uh, and if you stay well, you'll perform well anyway. I'm sorry? If you stay well and take good care of yourself, you'll perform much better. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who aren't in California, we've had COVID, we've had crazy politics, we've had fires in California that were just darkening the sky with smoke and ash everywhere. And then we all have our own personal things going on. And so, you know, it was a, cha <laughs> it was a challenging year and people need to uh, be well above all else. And we as a company need to make sure that that is the priority. Uh, beyond that, we can work out kind of what work we prioritize, what we can get done, what we can't get done. Uh, but that's been another really key theme for uh, 2020. I think that's a great message, uh, Eric. Uh, I'd like to switch back now uh, for a moment to uh, to the software itself, because um, since uh, throughout your career you've been involved with different sales products, as you already mentioned, I was kind of wondering: is there something that uh, sets Marketing Cloud apart for you? So I was new. So Marketing Cloud, first of all, is a broad umbrella of products, including. Uh, the DMP and Datarama and lot, lots of things. So that's the first thing I think, you know, marketing cloud is not a specific thing. It's a broad portfolio of products. Mm -hmm. um, specific to, are, are you asking about kind of the email part of marketing cloud or are you asking about the whole portfolio? Well, I find your answer in itself interesting because I think when most customers think marketing cloud, they are thinking about email studio. Whereas, um, uh, of course, there's Datarama. Of course, there's social studio that, that can connect into it. Uh, but we can focus on email studio here. <laughs> okay. So um, email studio, which is part of marketing cloud and by far the, the biggest part of marketing cloud. And is really laying down the foundation for... Um, the CDP strategy that is cross-channel, email, SMS, push notifications, um, custom audiences that we can advertise to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all of that comes from our friends in Indianapolis uh, and Exact Target. And I learned a lot when we acquired Exact Target. I learned a lot about email marketing. I was I was not in that space before. Uh, I thought, well, it's email marketing. How complicated could it be? And it turns out there's a lot to it. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. It is hard. And they they the power of email studio, formerly known as Exact Target, is you know if, is in the ability to set up a relational data model, to do very powerful uh, scripting for personalization, and to be able to do all the kind of deliverability things that you need to do to get an email into someone's inbox. And I didn't really appreciate that prior to Exact Target, but you know, if, if you're a small 
corner, you know, Pilates studio and you want to send out a email <laughs> newsletter to your, your people, it's probably, it's not the right product for you. It's way mm -hmm. too, uh, uh, complex for, you know, a very small business who wants to do very simple things where the product, um, shines is high end, higher complexity, data driven, personalized email at scale. And that is, that is the sweet spot for the product. Oh, yeah. And it fits nicely into our broader concept of CRM where, you know, through the magic of email studio, we can embed lots of data within an email from kind of the CRM system or other places. We can include personalized content. Uh, we can include product recommendations. Uh, we can do all kinds of interesting things. So uh, there's still work to do on that product to bring it closer into um, the core kind of Salesforce stack. There's work to do to make that product easier to use. Uh, there's work to do to make it smarter and more kind of AI driven around, you know, um, send time optimization or, um, you know, multi-channel journeys, et cetera. Um, but it's a very powerful product and it's been very successful. It's got a huge following and we're just excited to, uh, keep that, keep that investment going. And, uh, so are we, cause we build on top of it since, uh, as most of our viewers will know, we at Deselect, we offer a segmentation solution for marketing cloud. And we're very happy in fact, to be able to build on such a strong platform as Salesforce and be listed on the app exchange, by the way. So here's. Here's my next question. Uh, being an independent software vendor or ISV, as it's known, um, from the digital point of view, what role do you see the App Exchange and actually ISV partners in particular play in the years to come? So the the you know the partner ecosystem and the extensibility of Salesforce products has always been incredibly core to who we are as a company. We provide a base platform. We provide a base of applications. Uh, and then we have literally thousands of partners who customize or extend um, the, the platform and solutions. We will never be able to do it all. Um, and so we invest in facilitating that kind of uh, partner ecosystem. Uh, we want to drive awareness and, you know, drive, help you be successful in your business. Uh, and we want to help our customers find the solutions that help them be successful in, in what they're trying to solve for. So it's always been near and dear to us. Um, all of our partners are on the app exchange, which is like our kind of the equivalent to like our app store. And that team is very, very busy working on a, a big vision for how to kind of continue to make app exchange better for both partners and the people buying products from it. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Salesforce is also tripling down on our industry strategy. And, you know, every permutation of every industry solution across sales, service, marketing, commerce, uh, et cetera, is just something we will never attempt to do ourselves. And partners like like you guys uh, uh, are critical for us to be able to help our customers succeed in what they're trying to do. 
maybe a funny side story here. Like today I'm onboarding uh, someone new in my team and he literally, he's new to the ecosystem. So he's asking, so why, why do you guys exist actually? Well, I'm, I'm telling him, well, Salesforce is counting on us to, to fill this little niche uh, needs uh, because I think that's the beauty of the whole app exchange platform. You guys can solve for so many different needs in collaboration with, uh, with ISPs, right? Um, Absolutely. But, uh, by looking at your own offering and especially at the digital offering, uh, what are the solutions that, that currently excite you the most and that you're very excited about? So Salesforce is very focused on this idea of customer 360. And it's been around forever, but no one has ever really truly successfully solved it um, in terms of a package solution that companies can buy and actually deliver on. And by customer 360, we mean an actual single source of truth for every prospect and customer that a company has that drives a more personalized experience on the front end across sales, service, marketing, commerce, custom apps, as well as better insights and engagement on the back end with your sales teams, your support teams, uh, your marketers, et cetera. And so uh, that is our strategy as a company to really build out this kind of core data model that allows you as a company to build a single view of your customers to build better experiences and better engagement. Uh, and so we in Salesforce Digital are working on exactly that. We're saying, okay, where is our single source of truth? How are we stitching together lots of different backend systems into this kind of golden record that we can use to personalize the website, personalize emails, personalize our paid media, uh, as well as personalize you know, hey, here's some training that might be right for you. Here's a community group that might be right for you. Here's um, an ISV app that might be great for you. So we're very, our vision within Salesforce Digital is to put the customer in the center of everything we're doing, break down these walls that we currently have today and to really understand who you are who you are, where you are, what industry you're in, what segment you're in, what role you're in. And instead of you having to find a trail on Trailhead or a, a community group on the community or an ISV app in the app exchange or an article on our blog, what if we could just push all of that to you and push that to you through our website, push that to you through email uh, and, and, and other places. Um, that is what is exciting today uh, and we are working on that as we speak to build the truth profile, to stand up our content and taxonomy internally, to stand up our personalization engine based on another marketing cloud product called Interaction Studio, um, and then to surface all of that through kind of multi-channel experiences. And so that's my work cut out for me for the next couple of years. and. Um, We'll see how this all plays out, but uh, that is what I get out of bed thinking about every day. It sounds like you'll keep busy indeed for the next few years. I'm just trying to, um, to paint a picture here though. So if I'm a customer 
as you mentioned, I'm, I might be working multi-channel. Some of my activities might still be uh, uh, silo. So for instance, to be, to be more concrete, I may be using paid ads on, on AdWords. I may be using Facebook ads. Are these also things that would be um, integrated into this um, CDP? So CDP is really kind of the, the data layer. Um, we want to be able to create audiences. We want to be able to activate those audiences across channels. Uh, and those channels include paid media. So yes, 100%. Um, it could also include email. It could also include the website. And so, uh, yes, we want to be able to create experiences that include the website, email, paid media, as well as other other channels as they come up. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's always been a struggle, um, even in our own company today, to be honest, but but I've seen it at many clients um, when I was still a consultant of um, getting the complete full picture of a customer. Sure, you can maybe see like the lead source of someone coming in on lead form. If you're a little bit better, you can even do a bit of tracking on the website. But what you want to know in the end is, um, let's say if you're a SaaS vendor, uh, for each dollar I earn, uh, how much um like how much did paid ads contribute how much the sales contribute that's that's so hard i i read really, it's, it's tricky so multi-touch attribution is uh a very very difficult problem we i I'm, as a practitioner i um think about this a lot we we have certain capabilities um internally we have some big gaps and I think we can close some of the gaps. I think the, the frustrating thing with marketing is there are some things that are just not quantifiable and you just have to kind of live with that reality uh, as a marketer. If someone comes to your website and then calls a sales rep, it's very hard to attribute that back to the, the website. Some of the digital things where you can kind of associate a campaign and track that all the way through, are more trackable. So I hear you. I think, you know, marketing is both art and science and we want to get the science part. Um, you know, we believe in science. We believe in data. We believe in data science and all the things we can do around that. Um, but there will always be a part of marketing that you can't measure as much as you want and a more subjective uh, part of marketing as well. It, it, it's very interesting. You're the second person today to call art and science, although the other person, he's a, actually CEO of a, a very large, well-established ISV as well. Um, and uh, uh, he said, when he was talking about sales, it's art and science. You can have as much KPIs and metrics, but there is a certain art to um, the profession, in this case, sales. But on the marketing side, yeah, it's, uh, I had the same discussion today with my co-founder, like... Uh, should we invest more in brand awareness? How do we measure that? Well, hmm. well, that's hard. Yeah, we have those conversations every day at Salesforce. <laughs> okay, well, uh, that's, it's a relief though to hear that you're you're facing the same challenges. It's not just okay. us. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the practitioner side, so we have lots of challenges. Um, we've we've managed to be very successful over time, but. Um, there are a lot of things that we do not 
we're not able to measure as well as we would like to in a perfect world. That said, I think you just have to move on from some of that. And, you know, we can attribute how much traffic comes to the site, where that traffic is coming from. Is it paid? Is it organic? How much of that traffic converts to a lead? Um, how many, you know, we have core offers like free trial, view demo, contact me, inbound call, chat. Like we have a lot of metrics around those core offers. We can then look at things like lead to opportunity conversion rate by offer type uh, and trace those from, you know, down the stages of, of the sales cycle down to ACV, which is our booking metric. Yep. Um, so, you know, some days I think, oh my gosh, it's so hard to really deeply understand all this. On the other hand, I think we have a, you know, a wealth of data and we, we can optimize for uh, that full funnel, which I don't think was really possible 10 or 15 years ago. And so, you know, on other days, I'm very thankful for all the incredible metrics we have and, and just, you know, let's use that and we can A-B test and, and optimize that forward. And we've been really successful in doing that. So it uh, just depends on which side of bed I get out of each day to, <laughs> <laughs> to uh, shape my thinking on, on that. It can always be better. We can always do better. It's never done. But I'm also thankful for all the hard work the team does to provide us the insights and the analytics that we get. Yeah, maybe it depends on, um, depending on which time of the day it is, which side of your brain's on, whether it's, do we want to have better branding, positioning, color schemes, like even to that level, or do I want to jump into the lake of data and, and metrics we have, right? Um, there's one specific question I would be very interested in knowing more about personally, uh, that has to do with paid ads because, um, at least in my experience and with what I hear from other people who run SaaS businesses, it's, it's sometimes tricky to get a, a meet return on paid ads, especially if you're doing B2B enterprise SaaS, but it, it, it seems to help, especially with retargeting and so on. But it's, it comes back into the whole campaign attribution slash multi-touch uh, issue we just spoke about. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way that you gauge the effectiveness of paid ads yourself? So we spend a lot of money on, on what we call paid media. Um, and it's a critical part of our marketing motion to track um, traffic to the site that we attribute back to paid. And then we can track it all the way back to uh, leads, pipeline, and ACV. And so, uh, Yes, we, 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 on one hand, we measure it very closely because we spend many millions of dollars on paid media. Uh, on the other hand, there's always an argument from the paid media team that paid media has a larger benefit than what we can measure in direct attribution. Mm. And that they, they feel strongly, and I understand this argument, that a paid impression or many paid impressions could lead to someone just typing, going to their browser and typing www.salesforce.com in their browser. And all of a sudden they show up in our organic metrics. Um, and I totally get that. And so we're currently having a lot of discussion about this. And we said, well, 
let's run some experiments and see if we can quantify some of this where we kind of turn certain things up and down and look at the downstream effects of things that we can't do direct attribution on. Because we are literally spending tens of millions of dollars in, in certain places. It's important that we have kind of directional understanding of these things or we're, you know, just guessing. And so it's, it's literally worth finding out, I would say. It's worth finding out. It's a lot of money. And so, you know, we've debated some of these things for years and it's like, well, let's do some tests and let's accept the fact that, you know, a test might impact the business in the very short term, but that might give us an insight that will help us do the right thing for the long term. And so uh, we are literally in the middle of a large discussion about uh, some of that right now, and we are teeing up some tests, and we're going to kind of look at causality, which is really hard to do because how long do you run it? How you know how how can we interpret the data? Uh, but we have some very smart people looking at this, and uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens. It sounds super interesting. I can honestly say that. Um, but as we round up, uh, would you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share with our audience? No, I would just like to, uh, you know, thank you for the opportunity to, to share our story. Um, I am going to be really, um, my goal is to be really transparent about our digital transformation at Salesforce. Um, I'm happy to share what we're doing. I'm going to try to share what's working and what's not working. I'm going to try to share some of the things we've learned about the organization, the methodology, the tech stack. Um, the design. Um, I want to try to be radically transparent in our own kind of journey. It's um, awesome. and it's going to be a multi-year journey. So uh, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to post on a specific topic, uh, I'm happy to do that. Okay, fantastic. Uh, for our audience, is there any um, uh, place I should follow you? I know you're very active on LinkedIn. Any other thing we should know about? Uh, no, not really. I am. Uh, I know I should um, um, invest more time, and I'm, I'm pushing my team on this. To uh, instead of just cranking out a quick post on LinkedIn, to actually do what I should do as a digital marketer, which is write a blog post that goes on our blog that drives traffic to our site that potentially converts to leads and opportunities to drive our business. Um, and so I'll, I'll say that giving myself a hard time that like, it's just easy for me to open up LinkedIn and knock something out and not have to really think about it. Um, but, uh, that is where I want to go. I want to start actually blogging out more formal communications about these things, but haven't started yet. All right. Well, uh, shout out to the audience. If you have any questions for Eric, feel free to comment on YouTube or LinkedIn or wherever you're following. And then Eric, uh, the pleasure was absolutely mine. Thank you for being on this episode and thank you so much for your time. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for watching Heroes of Marketing Cloud. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date about future interviews with fellow marketing champions.